The following podcast is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org. I've noticed how clothes are, are meant to cover our nakedness, right? Because let's face it, I mean, there's you know, 99% of the population on the world, we look better clothes on. That's just the reality. <laughs> you know, you, you go to one of those beaches where it's optional and the wrong people are naked. And that's just, <laughs> stop doing that. Put something on. I want to eat sometime this week, all right? So, you know, and most of us, how many of you love your fall wardrobe? Yes, right? You, you break out the cabinets. You, it's almost like a dance, isn't it? The wools come out, the scarves come out, and, you know, hey, and, and you know, and down go the linens in the cotton sea in a few months, and, you know, and we'll be back. And, and, and so there's the, the winter clothing, there's the fall stuff, and then there's spring, and then there's, you know, you know all that. And, it's just, you know, so much fun, cotton, linen, wools. It doesn't matter what it is. And, and I realized that there's a problem when uh, last, was it Friday? Yeah, it was Friday. I, I, went, to, um, I went to the Borders bookstore and, and uh, once again found myself in clothing and fashion. And uh, I ended up buying two books on women's clothing. And because and, uh, it doesn't matter to me. It's just it's clothes, how to fit, what to accentuate, what to downplay. I do the same thing for men, by the way. It's just that I, I uh, you know, I, I love the slingbacks, the t- you know, what, what fits, what works, what makes your legs look longer, what makes it slimmer, you know, it doesn't. I wish I was kidding, you know, but I'm not. And, and um, it's like that, that Shania Twain thing last week, you know, I'm just keeping it real. I'm just telling you, but this is what you're getting into when you sit here and listen to me. And... Um, Having, I used to be a personal shopper for people, and it's always so much fun to spend somebody else's money for clothes, you know, and, and, and then sometimes just doing it for a friend, I'm starting a new career, I want to have this specific sort of look, and, and this is what thing I'm looking for, and this is what I'm trying to achieve, and you know, oh, awesome, let's, let's see what you have, and I, I'll have friends call me and say, I, I'm packing for this trip, I don't know what to wear, and I go, oh, okay, well, you know, there's that Paisley thing with that, did this suit, show shoes, shoes, and they go, wow, I don't know how you do that, I couldn't even do that on my own roller dope, it's a gift. <laughs> Welcome to my world. So I enjoy that kind of thing, there's the practical clothing, casual, sports, formal, you know, the formal in the summer, right, which is the white the white coat with the khakis and maybe something for fun, the Jack Purcells, just to be, you know, humorous with it. And uh, maybe a Madras bow tie. But the point, I mean, even for scuba diving, it doesn't matter, right? There's, there's clothes that are specific to the event. So whether you're deep underwater or in outer space, there's an appropriate attire for the event. <clears throat> and after six, you always wear black. I, uh, I also have... Uh, a, a value in my life, and that is my health. So I treat working out like I do my medical care. I will go once a year, <laughs> faithfully. I mean, nothing will stop me. I'm, I'm committed. I will go every time once a year. And so last year when I went, I remember um, the 24-hour fitness uh, it had the, the tagline, you know, look better naked. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. You know, uh, it, it's one thing I thought to inspire people. And it's another really just a flat out lie to them, you know, because this is not, this is not where everybody, the, the supermodels and the athletes, you know, maybe, maybe, but even then, you know, uh, the, the, the rest of us are just, we're just trying to get healthy, we're just trying not to hurt, you know. And so I just thought of how interesting that was, how often nakedness comes up in conversations. But then there's the painful nakedness of emotional and spiritual nakedness. I spent three years as a chaplain uh, with local law enforcement here. 
And part of it, I have to be, you know, if I'm honest with myself, is that I, I, it was just, to me, something fun to do. I thought, wow, this is kind of exciting. You get to meet interesting people and, you know, wear black, drive fast, legally, you know, and I thought, ah, oh, this ought to be fun. And uh, it wasn't that silly, but part of it was I did want to contribute somehow to the community I was part of. So I went in as a chaplain. The thing is, is that as a chaplain, you only get called when things really, really go south, right? You never call the police to say, hey, thanks, I feel very safe today. Just thought you should know. You know, that's not what happens. You call because something went wrong. There's been an assault, there's been a rape, there's a murder, there's, there's a body, there's a mess, there's a, a robbery. But if the police call the chaplains out, it's really bad. So I have to tell you, if anyone comes knocking on your door with a cross on the collar, I'm telling you right now, it's not going to be good news. It just never is. And so often I found that really, instead of giving these insightful words of comfort and wisdom, what I did was just provide a person a bit of cover in this horrible moment of nakedness that they were experiencing. Because crisis and pain and calamity always arrive without a warning. You rarely see it coming. And unless you're the person that has, has had an opportunity to build yourself up, unless you're the person that has invested in your own soul, unless you've had a person who's allowed positive sources to inform your soul and shape your soul, when it comes, not that it'll be less painful, but at least there's some preparation for it. But generally the people that we dealt with were people who were already living a life that was chaotic. And so this was just adding to the mess. I recall in one event, um, literally standing with uh, the mom of a victim. Um, I think her son was 20 feet in front of us, um, who had been gunned down, and, and an hour and a half, maybe an hour and 45 minutes, I just told her I was sorry, so sorry for her loss. And I just stood there with her. And afterwards, she so thanked me for the cover I gave her, and I, and I realized how important it was sometimes, just, just the silence of knowing that someone at least feels your pain, doesn't try to disparage it, minimize it. Oh, it's gonna get better, he's in a better place. You know, none of that, it, all that's almost meaningless in those moments, it really is. There's nothing else to say but the truth, I'm sorry for your loss. And so you provide a bit of cover for a person. Crisis and temptation will always come without warning. And so what do you do in, in, in the moments of, of deep, deep spiritual or emotional nakedness? I want to read a story to you. Maybe it'll um, feel a little different. It's an old, old story. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3 for just a moment. Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals of the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you'll die. Oh, you won't die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be able to, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and they made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden of the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord, and God among the trees of the garden. 
But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? I'd have to say that this probably, now, those of you who are in seminary, you know, don't flip out, okay? Because I know there's this lust for certainty sometimes, and you're going to have to learn to live in ambiguity once in a while. Even if this story isn't literally true, the author spoke very clearly about the human condition. That there was something that happens when a person is plugged into God that gives them a sense of covering. And the moment you decide to step away from that, you're going to experience nakedness. And here's what I will also tell you, because you've had this moment, you cannot stand nakedness. We can't. You will do something to cover. In this case, these folks, you know, maybe the, the thing that was the closest or maybe was the largest, I don't know, the easiest to work with, they had to make some kind of cover because they realized we're naked. On top of that, the next few verses tell me something else that goes on for humanity forever. See, I make an assumption of most people, in fact, I make an assumption of every person I meet as soon as I meet them, that I know that you're a spiritual being. I know that you're having a physical experience in your spirituality, but you're essentially a spiritual being. I make a second assumption. I also know you've been talking to God. It doesn't matter your background, your religious traditions, or your lack of a religious tradition. You've been interacting with voices in your head. And if anything, if any voice inspired you in a moment of hope or beauty of romance or anything remotely healthy, you were actually interacting with the Spirit of God. You just didn't know his name. And so I also make the third assumption that if, I, if you and I speak about Christ or God or the scriptures, that I'm not really starting the conversation, I'm just joining the conversation that you're already having. And here's the other reality. Here's the fourth one. You see, most folks might say, and even followers of Christ might say, oh, I, I, I love God, I trust God, God is good. But the reality is, is that when he comes close, we'll hide. Just like Adam and Eve. See, the very thing that they needed, they hid from. And so sometimes when I'm speaking to somebody and we're beginning to unwrap some issues, you know, you, you almost touch a, 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 a spiritual nerve. And people begin to, well, who the heck are you? Or whatever it might be. And there's this almost a reaction to the conversation. I know one thing has happened. They're starting to hear the footsteps of God. And they're going to hide. I've done it. You've done it. Some of you are doing it right now. And so you'll cover. You'll hide. And what I find in the scriptures over and over again is that God almost rarely gives a direct response to issues. You may have a question. And because he's God, this is gonna drive you mad. He's no, not under obligation to answer your question. What he seems to do over and over again is ask you a question. Now, see, here's what I don't think. I don't think God was confused where Adam was. It's not because he was so little, you know. <laughs> hey, where are you? <laughs> Did I step on you? you know, I, I, what happened? You were here just a moment ago. 
It wasn't because he was wearing camo all of a sudden that God didn't see him. <laughs> see, the question was for Adam. Where are you? See, what's interesting to me is that, you know, the, the, this other voice, this voice that was malevolent, speaks to our ancestors and says, oh, when you eat this, you're going to know good and evil. They already knew good. Full disclosure should have been, eat this, you're going to know evil. Right? And so, what Adam needed to be reminded, see, here's, you know, I'll, I'll ask when I get there. I'm convinced that Adam would have said, dude, I'm sorry, I so blew it. I listened to the wrong voice. Would have saved humanity so much trouble, you know, but no, he was stubborn and, and uh, blames his wife and, you know, went down the pike from there. And men have been doing it ever since, apparently, as well, you know. So what do you do in moments of nakedness, right? Where do you go? How do you process that? Now, here's what, I, here's what else I want to speak to you about, because some of you are in this journey reluctantly, or maybe intentionally, but you're in the journey. You're in the game. If you're a human being, you're interacting with this. There are two words I want you to think about. One word is condemnation, right? Being condemned or feeling condemned. The other word is conviction or having a conviction, all right? Now, here's what I've noticed over and over again. When I'm in a conversation with somebody, it might be long-term, it might be short-term. If I begin to address a certain issue, or even if, better yet, when it was addressed to me, I'm gonna just make this more personal. Often, the sense of what I got was condemning. You're wrong, you're doing this wrong, you're making dumb decisions, you're a dumb person, you know what I mean? Now, by the way, I always think it's healthier to address the issue, not the person, right? You're not a liar, you were, you were dishonest. You're not a thief, you stole. You follow? I mean, it's healthier to say that this, this decision, this action, this moment doesn't define you. You made a bad decision, you, made a bad, you had a bad moment, but that doesn't define you. Okay, back to conviction and condemnation. And so, because of guilt and shame, you respond. Because you're beginning to realize, I'm naked. Ever had that experience? You know, I think we have our own language even begins to betray us in this way. We know this. Pulled your covers. Removed your anonymity. Right? So, let me say that, that, that guilt and shame can be helpful. Now, let me, let me set that aside for just a moment. Follow me over here. Conviction. Conviction will have the same feeling. That's the thing that makes it so confusing. It'll feel like guilt and shame. And you know what? It is. The times I've had, whether it's a grown man or some other person invest in my life and speak directly into my soul, it feels exactly the same as being condemned. Guilt and shame come from both and they feel exactly the same. And what makes it confusing is that if you're ill emotionally, if you're sick spiritually, you don't know how to differentiate the two. Because they do feel the same. Now let me tell you what guilt is supposed to do, how we're, how we're generally wired. Guilt, if it's from conviction, if you're responding and recognizing this is conviction, guilt says, I'm wrong. That's it. Guilt just admits you're wrong. 
Confession is just agreeing. I, I made a mistake. I, I blew it. Wow, what was I thinking? That's it. That's all the guilt is com comes down to. It's not whipping yourself for being horrible. Because that already happened to Christ. Shame, though, is the other step that's a little bit tougher. Because shame says, I'm wrong, I'm guilty, and I don't have any cover. I can't be unwrong. I can't be healthy. And that's why it's so um, scary. Because if I can't, now what do I do? When, when, when it's from condemnation, you know what guilt does? If you, if you uh, feel it like, uh, like condemnation and it's, uh, you feel like a, a condemning thing, you say, wrong? You think I'm wrong? I'll show you wrong. And it almost empowers you to do worse. You think I'm a drunk? I'll show you drunk. You think I'm a tramp? I'll, sh I'll show you skank, you know? <laughs> just keeping it real. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. In my defense, I'm just saying. By the way, I'm that guy. I, I, if someone tells me you're driving too fast, uh, I speed up. <laughs> I wish I was lying. I, I, and I'm getting better at it, but I, 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 there's that momentary, slow down. <laughs> you know, my, I, 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 I have so many bruises and dents in my thigh from squeezing it. Like, uh, okay, officer, I will, you know. Um, <laughs> this is why I... I understand my parents probably, I, I probably shortened their lifespan because as soon as they said, don't do that, I want to go to there. <laughs> don't go on the roof. That's all I can think about, the roof. <laughs> it's so beautiful. <laughs> and it would, it would have that slight blur and twinkle, sorry. Oh. And I would, I would feel myself like not even touching, I'd head up to the roof. Dude, some of you are the same way. That's why you're laughing, because that's the laughter familiarity. That's what that is, you know. And so, uh, so you, you feel guilt and shame as a condemning thing. You take the energy of guilt to say, I'll do it more. If, if it's something that's, that's uh, harmful and destructive, you'll do it further. And then with the shame thing, because you can't stand to be naked, you'll anesthetize your pain with a compulsive behavior. Even if you know it's unhealthy. So you wake up in a bed you shouldn't. You consume what you ought not to. You will speak words that are vile and foul to hurt someone else because you're hurting, right? I think the silence tells me. And that's how we process. What I also know is that, now listen to me for just a moment. What I also know is that the most degrading, discounting, disparaging, destructive voice in your life is your own. I know some of you have had parents that in a moment of anger, they said, damn you, I hate you. And man, that seared right into your heart and you still carry it. 
I know there's moments that you've had a, a coach or a boss, someone that you looked up to, someone that was informing your soul. They said, so-and-so, how can you always screw up here? How do you do that? Get off the field. And you had to take that walk of shame and it. You felt every step burning. But I also know that in a moment of silence, when you went to sleep, or when you were walking off that field, or as you were looking at the angry face of your parent, or you know, whatever that was, that all you said was, that's right. Very few of you probably had enough spiritual fortitude to say, that. that's not true about me. You actually took that, let it inform you, and then you added to it. And then every single bad or failure thing that happens, it, it just confirms it. I'm not only this, I'm this and that. I'm not only a thief, I'm also a liar. I'm not only loose with my sexual life, I'm also this. And it just goes on and on and on. And you have added to it all the time. Now here's also what I know. Because we can't stand that, our own language. This is what I said a couple weeks back. When, when someone begins to address that issue of brokenness into your life, you hear your own voice. And it's like Star Trek. Shields up, right? Incoming. <laughs> I'm making this a little bit humorous for a moment because I know this is gonna be very touchy for some people. Because you cannot take another harsh voice. You can't. You just can't. And so every failure Every unholy moment as a child, every rotten thing done to you, and every rotten thing that you've done, you protect yourself from that by saying, well, you know, you don't know what it's like to be, you can't, I reject that, or you have no idea what I've gone through. And so you, that shield goes up and nothing that could be convicting to help you make the right decisions gets through because Conviction and condemnation feel the same way to you. And they do feel the same way to everybody. It's guilt and shame. But guilt is a mechanism to get you to admit that you're wrong, right? And in fact, those of you who might have been, you might, some of you might have been, have friends who were in step meetings or celebrate recovery. You know, I, I have family who was. You know, that first step is the scariest, worst step. I'm wrong, right? I have to admit that I'm wrong. And then the second step, um, I'm naked, I need cover. Now, Paul understands this. He, he speaks about it in Romans um, 13, I think it's 11 through 14, where he talks about all the different crises and things that go on in our life. And he says, you know, but here's what you ought to do, folks. He says, put on Christ. And he speaks of it as, as a cover. I can remember a conversation with someone not very long ago where, you know, there was this moment of, uh, where the conversation was emotionally getting hot and, and it was just frustrating. And, and, and I, you know, we, we had to just break for a moment and as that person walked away, I remember thinking, I, I just wanted to put a cover around them to protect them, to let them know it's going to be all right. This won't be forever, and I'm here for you. And I find it interesting that my mind went to that metaphor in my own head, because I understand we need cover. We just do. None of us stands alone. We all go through life cheating. We will all use or do something to anesthetize the discomfort and the nakedness in our life. Now, 
I want you to turn in your books, if you have them, to Psalm 139. Because this is a man who understood he was naked. And this is what I want you to understand as we read this. Some of you, as you see yourselves, <clears throat> you're still processing through the lens of your nakedness. Like, I, I am this rotten person, and so all you see about your life just confirms that for you. And understand that God sees it too. You're, you, we're not fooling him. The only person that's ever surprised at how bad we are and when I mean bad, I don't mean, I'm not talking about naughty, all right? This is not about being naughty, being a good person, being a good girl. I mean, you're damaged, okay? We all have moments where we get along with everybody, you know? We, uh, it's easy to, to get along with people when you're getting along, right? But have you noticed those moments in your relationships when the person you care about deeply, you can't connect with? And then you realize, I am damaged. Here's somebody I love right in front of me and I cannot break through. For some of you who are single, it's your parents. And on behalf of parents everywhere, I'm sorry. We tried. Well, honestly, I'm half joking, half serious. We tried. We, we were processing our own stuff. Please forgive us. For some of you who are married, it's your spouse. Those of you who have kids, sometimes it's your kids you're, you're dealing with. It's your workplace. I mean, it's employee relationships. It's everything. This is why I, once, a couple years back, I said to my wife, you know, I've noticed that everything in the scripture, everything is relational. Everything. There's almost nothing you do in the scripture by yourself. It involves a person. If not God, then, then humanity. And you realize, I, I'm not able to handle crisis, I'm not able to handle fear, I'm, I'm, I'm stuck in this one area, I keep falling back into this habit, I'm done, you know, and how do I get out of this? And so you don't wanna hear you're wrong, you wanna hear you're guilty with an explanation. Yes, but, you know, of course I'm this way, I'm, this happened to me. And see, here's, here's where I'm stuck at some level. I have to believe that if God is real and that the story is true, that if the scriptures mean anything, is that God not only sees our nakedness and provides cover, but he restores. We don't get to write the beginning of our lives. You didn't get to choose your parents, you didn't get to choose your upbringing, you didn't get to choose your background, your, your gender, your lifestyle choices. Those things you didn't really get a chance to choose, but you get a chance to choose who you're going to become and how the story ends. David is writing about a moment of understanding I am completely naked before God. He sees me. Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down, and you are familiar with all my ways. Even before I, a word's on my tongue, you, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind, before, and you lay your hand upon me. I, I, I want you to feel this moment. Those of you who especially feel like you have blown it, or you're far, or you're struggling, or whatever it might be, that God doesn't stand with his hands behind his back, but when you get better, let me know. That he's involved in your life still, 
as much, no difference than when you thought you were doing well. And his hand is on you. That's just a beautiful metaphor and a lovely picture and that hopefully will begin to inform your soul. And so for this reason, David says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me and too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. No matter where I go, even when I in my unhealthy state, even when I'm in unhealthy activities, even when I'm in, I'll show you, you're still there. I, I can't get rid of you. <laughs> you're there. And this is why he's able to say, so if I say, well, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me. No, because even the darkness will not be dark to you and the light and the night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. You see me, even when I don't want to be seen. You see me. Even when I wish to hide, you know where I am. David continues, man, you created me from my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Here's why I praise you. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And now here, even for cutters and people who loathe their bodies and some other level of eating disorders, he begins to speak to you too. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. My life's not an accident. All the days ordained for me are written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. And were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And when I'm awake, I'm still with you. If only, God, you would slay the wicked away from me who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent, and your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord? Abhor those who are in rebellion against you. I have nothing but hatred for them, and I count them as my enemies. Now here David stops and takes another moment. And this is where... Um, See, this is where we begin to allow God to begin to inform our souls and be that, be that primary teacher, primary voice, life coach, spiritual guide, however you want to phrase it. You know what's, hang on, let me, let me just switch gears for a second. Have you noticed, are you the kind of person that always asks for someone else's opinion before you make a decision? You're, you know, right? That's kind of smart to do, right? Hey, what do you think about this? Because I could be wrong. I often am. Let me bounce this off you. I've told some of you I, I have a friend that I, I, I am my best in my in thinking when I speak to this friend. And, and it just, you know, it's not, not an echo chamber. I'm not looking for agreement. I need, need to, he just is able to explain it to me in a way that helps. It's helpful. I really value the time we spend together. But I also know that both of us have sometimes have times that we had to go to God. When situation, <laughs> okay, that sounds good. Or we really both don't know, do we? No, we have no clue. All right, let's time to pray then. That's uh, pretty obvious. See, but having those moments, can you imagine if you could ask the infinite, benevolent, 
spirit who's interested in your life, who wants the best for you. If you could ask him a question, am I doing something, is this well for me? Is this a good thing for me? Is this relate? you know, whatever it might be, wouldn't that be helpful? A person who not only has your best interest in mind, but knows you exactly, knows your motivation, knows how you're built, in fact, was involved in the process. Who cares for you, has your best interest in mind, who's so absolutely for you. Wouldn't that make sense to ask that person? Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let's take a moment and pray. Father in heaven, you are our cover. And what I pray for folks this morning and for myself is that you help us to hear your words of correction. I pray for those that have been so hurt by us, the spiritual community, maybe with good intentions, that you would help them feel the guilt and shame, but to understand what it's meant to do is to drive them to you, not to more destructive behavior. Hey, I pray for the families that are struggling with all this mess. I pray for people who are hurting and in pain over loved ones and relationships that are broken. I pray for those who are not here this morning that are represented by their families that are alone and all they hear is condemnation over and over again. I pray that your voice will become louder and louder and louder. And they no longer hear the voice of evil condemning them, but the voice of conviction that gives life. I pray for the person feeling very far away and wondering if they could even trust you. Help them understand that you are trustworthy and that you'll be their cover. And as a matter of fact, you've already been involved in their life since their birth. I pray for those of us who claim to be your followers, your students, that you help us be those voices of hope, to believe that love wins in the end, to trust that your words are sufficient, are enough for a man or a woman to live well, to finish well. So help us have confidence in your book, in the sacred scriptures, in your voice, to be covered by you, to become men and women that we are meant to be. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Following the message, there was a brief question and answer session to address some of the ideas that had been brought up during the talk. You have a Q, hopefully I'll have an A. So you've got this one burning question you've got to ask. Yes? Can you talk a little bit more about the sequence um, that goes from like shame into anesthetizing and then compulsive behaviors? Um, well, not knowing about a subject's never stopped me from giving an opinion. So, um. 
I can only speak to my life and then I, I, the pattern I've seen in other people. If, um, well, let me back up a little bit. Have you ever noticed that stuff that's destructive, or for those of us who are Christians, we'll say the word sin, feels really good the first time out? Oh, don't sit there. No, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> Please, okay? <laughs> I've heard some of your stories, all right? Apparently, it was very good the first few times out. All right? But here's what I notice about addictions. Um, let's take cigarettes. They're very easy. And I don't have a moral issue with cigarettes. Some people have. I don't. Um, first few times, most people, <coughs> you know, you're choking, right? And you have to learn how to, uh, you have to acquire a taste for it. Correct? And then after a while, you can do it socially. You just, you just do it. Oh, that's what I do, you know? And after a while, you have to do it. You cannot not do it, right? And then you'll notice, folks, that, um, that perhaps we're smoking. Oh, man, I just, I'm really tense right now. I need a cigarette. It begins to be part of the anesthetization process. And so what I've noticed is that people who are, here's what I've noticed. People who, who really feel deeply need something to, to anesthetize pain. Um, so back to guilt and shame for just a moment to answer your question. If I feel I'm doing something wrong, if I'm, that I'm hurting somebody, I'm letting somebody down, I, I just, most people may not be brave enough at all times to admit that. And then if I'm stuck with not admitting that, I, I, I'll, my, my energy for that is anger, and then that anger becomes negative momentum, and the negative momentum is I'll show you sort of thing. It will come out that way. I've seen this over and over again with, with addicts or people that are struggling with, with compulsive behaviors. Because mixed in that is, somewhere, is something to do with shame. I, I, I can't get better. I'm not better. I'm a loathsome thing. I'm a rotten thing. And, and so the language for that person ends up, not that I make dumb decisions, but I'm just a bad person. And if I'm a bad person, then I deserve to feel bad and act out. And many, many times uh, when a person's in pain, the only, reason, the only way they can quiet the voice of their own pain is to cause pain in someone else's life. A little bit. One last question. Yes, sir. Um, you said uh, something about starting a conversation. How do you end up conversation with God? And how do you come to terms and accept them or have a dialogue more internally? Um, often, depending on who that, if that person's by themselves, it's pretty rare that somebody will actually say, I, I need you. But whether someone says, come into my life, I need your help, I trust you to clean me from the inside out. Somewhere along the line, what, what you're saying as an individual, if you want to begin that conversation with God in, in a different trajectory, is that I just need your help. That's confession. Be my cover so I don't feel the shame. And cl clean me from the inside out. And what's remarkable about this, and this is the thing that I think it's frustrating for some people, is that we're, we are used to somehow earning our keep. And doing something, and if you were raised in any kind of religious tradition, well, you have to do something, shouldn't you? You know, you have to go pray, you have to go confess, you have to go, you know, wash in a certain river, I mean, you have to go do something, you know? You don't just get it for free, and this is why it's weird to understand that it is just that free and easy. But here's, in fact, you know, let me, let me, let me just make one last comment, I'm gonna end on this. Let me, let me encourage all, those of you who are thinking, I don't know God, I'm, I'm not sure if this is, you know, this is for me. I don't, I'm sure if I buy into this Christianity thing. I, I, listen, I totally get you. That's fine. But here's what I'll, I'll encourage you to do. Tonight, tomorrow, when it's quiet in your head, ask, God, are you out there? 
And what is your name? Because here's what I'm convinced of. He'll answer. You can just ask him, are you out there? And what is your name? And this is not even about being right. This is about the spirit that actually gives life. So I don't feel the need to argue and defend him, speaking of God. I'm just convinced that if you ask and speak to him, he'll speak to you. And you'll experience life. And the argument's over. Hey guys, God bless you. If you uh, would like to chat further, I'm going to be outside. And uh, you can also reach me by email, octavio at mosaic.org. Thank you for listening to this production by Mosaic Whittier, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org.